Hello, and welcome to Kickout 299. I'm Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we are sitting down to highlight and discuss a can't-miss match that recently came out of Pro Wrestling Noah, Keno versus Katsuko Nakajima on May 31st at Shinjuku Face. This match is a masterclass of storytelling, athleticism, and ultimate catharsis. We're really excited to dig into the backstory and deeper nuances within this match, and we hope this heightens your viewing experience. So let's get into it. So here we are to talk about this match, which of course, um, Alicia, you and I have been invested in this story with Nakajima since day one, since what, August 30th, uh, 2020, when he joined Congo. And we're mm-hmm. going to talk about that as well. But we have we have been in <laughs> this storyline and, and talking about it and just really watching it. So when this match came about, um, we didn't know how this was going to go. And we'll talk about that through the episode as well. But um, it's very interesting because the lead up to this match is on paper really simple. Um, on May 4th, Katsuko Nakajima left Congo in order to reform his tag team with Goshiyazaki. And this match was sort of to settle things with Congo's leader and go on their separate ways, right? Like if you were to advertise that match with somebody, that's what it would be. Um, however, Nakajima's story and development through this two and a half years in Congo are really much deeper than that and just really instrumental to, I wouldn't say understanding this match, but the deeper levels of storytelling in this match. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And uh, there's something that is so special and important about this story as a whole because of the timing of it you and I met at like almost the the very beginning of it so we've spent a lot of time um getting to know each other through talking about the story and understanding it and over time um I think becoming better sort of uh fans of this type of storytelling and really being able to understand it and pick it apart and um we've gone to great lengths to, um, you know, to chase down, uh, countless articles and, uh, you know, just I have stacks and stacks of shoe pros as do you (laughs) to try to, um, chase down, uh, aspects of this story and to understand. And, um, you know, there's so many other supplementary things that we've kind of chased to, to, to really get to the heart of the story, but, um, I can't separate the story from sort of the start of our my, our friendship together. So it's all sort of intertwines and is very important to me. It's really well said. And I feel the same way. I really do. And I, I do credit um, a lot of this story to being as good of a translator, first off, because a lot of my practice was because of these two men and because of um, the storyline, but also just understanding um, wrestling and learning how to talk about it. And and that was through talking about it with you. So, um, yeah, I feel the exact same way that it's just very tied, uh, to my friendship with you and our uh, exploration of this fine art together. So let's talk a little bit about the story that led us to this match on August 30th, 2020, 
Shiyazaki refused to tag Nakajima in during a match for the vacant GHC heavyweight titles against uh, Sugira and Sakuraba. And then Nakajima turned on his partner to join Kongo, bumping fists with Keno, who was standing ringside. He gave a little like, Keno, let's do it. And then gave this vertical <laughs> spike. It was, it was very dramatic, very good. Please seek out that match. Um, afterwards, Keno in an interview claimed that Nakajima had become his true natural self um, using the phrase, the natural Nakajima, which ends up recurring throughout their storyline together. However, despite this team up, Nakajima didn't really fit in immediately, did he, Alicia? No, he did not fit into um, Congo um, right away. And this like for a while, like for several weeks, especially going into Katsuhiko's um, challenge with Shiozaki um, during that, uh, Shio's fourth reign rather going into November of 2020, um, we thought that this was going to be extremely temporary. Like we talked about this, you know, potentially not being a long-term fit for him because he did not fit in with Congo, at least from the start. Yeah, he's wearing that darker shade of red. He's uh, sitting on the turnbuckle instead of posing with everybody else, which eventually sort of just becomes his part of the pose. Uh, he actually states in a uh, article in Shoe Pro, like one of their costume columns that they do every week, that the reason he picked the darker red and, and set on the turnbuckle is just because he doesn't, he likes to stand out. Um, so it, it really, <laughs> it really didn't come down to any like super deep meaning. He just, he likes to stand out and um, that set him apart. It did set him apart from the rest of um, Congo. And you do feel this disconnect. Uh, however, it sort of also is interesting that it sort of just comes down to him wanting to do his own thing, which we'll talk about a little later in the episode, but that was also a very Congo um, thing in the beginning. And then Congo sort of evolves from there, but um, he just, he was marching to the beat of his own drum with all of that. Um, however, there was seriously a disconnect. You start to see it, especially in the buildup after the N1 um, towards that match with Shiyazaki, um, there will be backstages where Nakajima is exhausted and he just sort of falls to the ground and he's like heaving on the ground and the rest of Congo, especially Keno, will just leave <laughs> and, and maybe give a little look at the ground like, oh, all right, he's fine. Um, but it was actually very funny. But yeah, like you said, we, we didn't really expect this to last very long. Um, we definitely thought that it would be a temporary, he would take over Congo and just just a lot of different speculation and I think a lot of that speculation lasted in the eyes of a lot of fans until the very end however the uh, actual story sort of um, tends a different direction and we're going to talk about that yeah absolutely I think it's actually worth noting uh, as we go through like how many times people felt that Katsuhiko would betray uh, Congo, but that would reach a fever pitch at a time where Katsuhiko was doubling down on Congo, <laughs> which was always really funny for you and I, like as we're sort of like reading the translations of the articles and the way that Keno was speaking about him and then way that Katsuhiko was speaking about him and Congo, and then you and I being like, how are people still getting the sense that he's going to leave? We thought that was the problem back in 2020, but We'll get there. Um, what I want to mention too, that what the issue for me was where I felt there was a disconnect. Katsuhiko, he is a remarkable wrestler. Um, he's almost a perfect wrestler at times, um, truly. And, and he's, you know, he's got the background of someone who is a prodigy. We talked extensively about his background in our Diamond Ring episode and also in our episode on the aggression, his um, his rivalry with Masakademiya. So um, there's a lot of content that we put out through Kick Out on uh, Nakajima's background. And 
for me though, I think what was different was trying to understand where he was really going as a character. And that is, mm-hmm. I think work that we'll, we'll talk about um, as we get through this episode as well, that part has never quite come as naturally to him. He has always been a textbook, perfect professional wrestler. He has not always been someone who's found it easy to be a character and to latch on to the things that make a good character and a comprehensive performer. And that's where at the start of all of this, it was very easy to say, well, this is probably not going to last very long because it was hard to really buy into the idea of him um, finding character work through this. But that's where at least I was going into, uh, or at least going into the start of him being in Congo. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I think really my mindset on it was that I wanted to see Nakajima betray Keno because I thought that would be like a breakout character moment for him and give him something to latch onto and sort of help him um, find a character on his own. But like you said, it it wasn't always easy for him on his own. Um, I think we sort of wanted to see more of um, Nakashima back where he was in Wrestle One, sort of the mm-hmm. enemy of the promotion, and and seeing um, that sort of thing develop. So there was a lot of speculation, a lot of uneasiness. No one really knew what to expect from the future of this decision, um, and if Nakashima could even really make it work for his character. It's it sounds mean to say, but it's really not. It's just you know how how it is. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of people sort of latched on to that uneasiness in mm-hmm. that dynamic. And that sort of has just stuck um, with people. And I think as well, too, like you're touching on it from how much we speculated on him returning to that sort of W1 side of Katsuhiko Nakajima, which I know a lot of us really enjoyed. It's a fun side of him. He does it really well. He's a bastard. But like, <laughs> I think the underlining thing as well is that there were so many of us who wanted him to return to the GHC. And we've talked about this as well in other episodes, but his first run um, with the GHC was considered a failed run. He was a failed ace. Um, We've referenced this before, but he just described that um, run for him as traumatic because it was not well-received. It was very difficult for him. They were coming out of a very difficult you know, situation with the um, Suzuki Goon era of Noah. There's, there's, a, there's a million things we could talk about that entire era, like it, at length. Um, so I know, I know a lot of us, including you and I, wanted to see him return to the GHC in a meaningful way, and it felt like perhaps, like you said, that defining character moment for him would be to betray Keno, take over Congo, um, and return to the GHC in that match with Shiyazaki. But that's not how it turned out. It sure isn't. Um, and before we even get there, I did give you some homework. <laughs> um, and I, I, I marathon these matches myself, but we uh, reviewed a lot of Keno and Nakajima's storyline together that occurred through their singles matches. And uh, speaking of that uneasiness, we bring you to September 18th, 2020, the first day of the N1 victory. Um, it was headlined by a singles match between Congo's leader and Congo's newest dark recruit, also known as Congo's Joker, Katsuko Nakashima. <laughs> oh, I love that nickname. God. Um, so yeah, no one knew what to expect uh, from this dynamic going to this match. It's still, we're still really early days into Nakajima joining Congo. Um, and you can just feel that tension in the air. Uh, we have discussed this. Um, this was still fairly early into the pandemic. We only have clap crowds 
Um, but even then the clapping is fairly subdued because people are just on the edges of their seat. Like it feels like it's almost in a vacuum. And I mean this in a good way, um, that the air has just left the room and everybody is in it. You can feel from the tension of the crowd. There's no disinterest. It's all about these two men and what they are looking to forge together in the future of Congo. So what are your takeaways from that match? Looking back on it now. <laughs> it's so fascinating to watch. Cause like you said, it, it feels like it happened in a vacuum. It, it feels like a completely different universe compared to where we are today. I think not even just within their relationship, but also within like the world wrestling. Like it's mm -hmm. so weird to remember how I felt and what I was doing and where I was when I was watching that match because it just feels like a completely different just world again but um yeah I think that one of the most striking things when I was re-watching this match is we've, we're so far removed from just the quote-unquote clap crowd era of wrestling and granted um I was fine <laughs> during the clap crowd era of wrestling you and I have completely you know different opinions of of what that era meant to, to us and we did not struggle with it in the way that other people did, but it is really interesting to go back and watch this match again and kind of sit with, again, that tension in the crowd and how there is clapping here. But like you said, like it is so subdued because people are like tense and they're like nervous. And um, it speaks to even in such a short period of time, like this is September 18th, um, Katsukiko portrayed Shio uh, back in August and what they have already um, been able to create in terms of that tension and people don't know what's going to happen people have no idea if um, Katsuhiko and Keno are going to be able to make this work and if Katsuhiko is going to be able to make Congo work and like you can feel that in the way that the crowd is is just sitting there silently and then those claps that come through during um, some of the bigger spots of this match so it's fascinating and then as we get into the final um, match especially of their series and then to compare it to the crowd calls that you get in that match um, it's such a strange but incredible thing to have those those points of comparison um, so yeah that was utterly fascinating they don't trust each other in this quite yet especially at the outset do they um, like you said you can feel that uneasiness um, in the relationship which is so um, fascinating and you know a match that we didn't mention at the top was Keno had defeated Katsuhiko for the national in recent memory as well. So there was always that in the back of our minds, like wouldn't Katsuhiko want to get him back for that? Um, as it turns out, we were kind of wrong. It had nothing to do yeah. with the national in the end. <laughs> um, but there was always that, I think, in the back of our minds because Keno had won that via um, referee stoppage, which that always felt like, well, how could Katsuhiko just take that? Like, wouldn't he want to get Keno back for that? Um, so that was in my mind as I was watching this as well. But um, you get a lot of spots in this match. Um, you see them reoccur throughout the series, but you get them here as as the jumping point. You know, there's all of the, um, the slap and kick exchanges that they become um, so incredibly um, well-known for that are excellent. Um, there's a couple other spots in this match that are just like, they become staples of the series. But the one thing I wanted to point out that I thought was fascinating that we just talked about with Captain Lou, um, when we were kind of going over Noah things in a recent review of Ryogoku, um, are the use of Nakajima's elbows um, in this. 
And this is prior to the Shiazaki match where he really uses them to great effect, but he's used them before. He's used them against people like Sugira. He's used them at these really pivotal moments in important matches. Um, he goes to use these smashing elbows to Keno toward the end of the match here. And he can really let himself go into these and like let them go on, I think, too long and then sometimes suffer for them and then get caught and then uh, get in a lot of trouble and sometimes lose matches this way. Here, he goes to lean into them and then just suddenly stops short. And it's very eerie to watch because there's no crowd noise to this. Everyone has their breath sort of held around this, but he stops himself short, almost as if he sort of realizes what, exactly what he's doing. Um, and then he realizes that Keno is not reacting at all. He has the match won. He just needs to pin Keno. He pins Keno and he wins the match. But that I thought was such an interesting moment to see again, because we've seen Katsukiko lean into this, this need to destroy people. Um, and that need to destroy people is usually what costs him a match. And we see it with Shio, we see it with uh, more recently with Jake Lee. He doesn't let that desire rule him here. And he wins the match. He beats Keno. And that fascinated me um, watching this again, because it's like one of the only times I can remember where he he backs off of it and it's with Keno. And that is the thing that is very important. Yeah, no, you you nailed it. I thought um, it was fantastic that you pointed that out. I did not notice when I watched the match because it was uh, sort of before you did. And um, yeah, the, the context of the elbows here is really pivotal. It's comes down to what he wants out of a match and how he views the opponent. And in this case, the important thing is winning and, and defeating Keno, not, you know, to prove a point, but because they are of Congo and now they're, they're forging something. Neither of them really know exactly what they're forging. You sort of get that sense. You have this incredible moment right in the beginning of the match where um, Nakajima offers a handshake and he's, he's almost insistent on it, sort of holds it out, shakes his hand um, and kind of turns away. And you just, you have this really great facial expression where Nakajima's face sort of um, deflates and you realize like he wanted it. He wanted that handshake and you see it again with uh, this clean break moment where they're sort of looking at each other, um, sizing each other up and then Keno just sort of backs away. And again, you see that that deflation where Nakajima is not exactly sure what he wants out of this partnership with Keno, but he's not getting it yet. Um, he's he's very clearly not getting it and, and Keno doesn't really trust him. And um, then that brings us to the end of the match where you do finally get a handshake from them. And it's more Nakajima sort of offering his hand down to a fallen Keno who has been defeated and Keno returns it. He reaches his hand up. They have this really powerful, like their hands clasp. And then Nakajima tries to help Keno to his feet. Keno doesn't want it. He literally rips his hand away, falls back to the ground and rolls out of the ring himself. Um, There's still just sort of that, I guess, disconnect, distrust where they don't quite understand what they want from each other as partners. Um, but you can see it in those moments, like with the elbows, that they're getting there and it's not about hatred or destruction. It's just about, I guess, exploration. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that his face falling when he doesn't get the handshake that he wants, the reaction that he wants out of Keno, 
in a lot of ways, it almost mirrors in the match with Axis versus Sugira and Sakuraba. He doesn't mm-hmm. get the tag. He doesn't get the reaction he wants out of Shiyazaki. And he, re- and he reacts, right? But in a much, obviously, negative way. Um, here, he does go into the elbows and he manages to stop himself. And then we get the semblance of the handshake that's not really the complete handshake that we'll get later on. But it's interesting to compare those moments and to compare where he stops himself. Um, it does lay the foundation, I think, for what comes later on between them, to be sure. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And then they don't fight again for almost exactly another year. Um, They don't meet in the ring. Instead, we get this whole storyline of Nakajima slowly beginning to fit himself into Congo. He starts this sort of uneasy, but uplifting, sort of encouraging reunion with his former tag team partner and fellow Kensuke office trainee, Masakita Mia. Uh, We talk about that at length in our episode on the aggression. Please do check that out. Uh, But it eventually leads to them defeating Sakuraba and Sugira for the tag titles on March 7th, 2021. But things go south. Masa is unable to work with Nakajima and the falling out is just brutal and ugly. And it culminates in this huge hair versus hair cage match. Um, Again, we do talk at length about that. Please go look at that. Um, But after the cage match, Nakajima hands this razor over to Keno after Masa has defeated him and asks Keno to sort of fix what Hidemiya started and, and to shave his head. And that allows him to start over fresh. He refers to this act as being refreshing, um, sort of shave him down like a dojo boy and allows him to start over fresh in Congo. From there, you start to see this huge change in how Nakajima reacts to a lot of the other members of Congo. You see him getting really protective, especially of how you have this great sort of mini storyline of Kazuyuki Fujita bullying the juniors and, and Nakajima straight up just stepping in or won't even like, won't even tag in the juniors because he wants to handle it and he wants he wants to protect them. Um, he also starts tagging with Manu Soya for a tag challenge against uh, Masa Hidamiya and Kaito Kiyamiya. And the two start to train together. Uh, you sit, you start to see pictures of them in the dojo together, which was very unusual for Congo at the time. They really, um, Keno especially, bragged that they always trained separately and they were very individual. But Nakajima starts this new trend of them sort of working together. And that comes from Nakajima. I think that's really important to show that that bond that Congo eventually forms started with Nakajima and him shaving down his head, starting again, and building these bonds with other members of Congo outside of just Masa. It reminds me so much of, in our Diamond Ring episode, talking about the things that Katsukiko loved about being in Diamond Ring Kensuke office. He loved being around everyone and putting the ring up and taking the ring down. He is someone who really values community and family in wrestling. It's something that he's always known um, in his time um, of being involved in this industry because of how he came up and then his relationship with Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto. So it's not... um, a surprise to me that as he starts to find himself in Congo, the dynamics in Congo start to shift and things are less individual. Um, and it's less, everyone can go and do what they want. And that doesn't necessarily 
shift is just that things become a lot warmer. It becomes a lot more found family. It becomes a lot more, we can see the emotional ties and bonds that clearly exist, I think, in the shoot sort of side of it all. But in the kayfabe, it becomes, well, Congo is actually much more of a found family. Now they train together. Now they're they're doing things all the time together. And we can see that. And we can see that also um, in the ring and the way that they they treat each other. And like this very obvious bond, especially between Soya and Katsuhiko, that really becomes quite evident. Yeah, I do really like that. Um, and Keno actually points this out too, that Congo, of course, uh, means diamond. And uh, Nakajima is comes from Diamond Ring, and there's that connection there. He is a facet of Congo. I've always found that really uh, cute, and it's it's really nice that he um, that Nakajima found what he lost in Diamond Ring within another diamond. Always been very very meaningful. The next time we see Keno and Nakajima face to face is not actually in a singles match. It's actually in this uh, prologue to the N1 victory on September 6, 2021. Uh, it's a really long match, so I don't know if a lot of people watched it, but it's really good. Um, it's Masakita Miya, Kotaro Suzuki, Takashi Sugiura, and Keno versus Katsuko Nakajima, Akatoshi Saito, Kaito Kiyomiya, and Daiki Inaba. So a lot of really random little mix-ups here. Um, seeing Sugiura and Keno teaming together again, always really cool. But um, the really interesting thing is that now we see Nakajima and Keno on opposite sides. And at the beginning of this match, Keno sort of clears house of everyone on standing on the apron for his team to sort of go and do their attacks. But he will not touch Nakajima. He literally stands and backs up looks at him and walks away. And it's it's fascinating that suddenly they have this dynamic where they're not really attacking each other, but it's not because they're afraid to. Because later in the match, they both tag in and they both look at each other and they watch each other for a moment. And then Nakajima extends his hand for a handshake. And Keno reluctantly and slowly grabs onto it. They hold hands for a long moment and bow to each other while clasping hands. After they do that, they begin their blistering kick exchange. So it's not that they didn't want to attack each other. They just had to reacquaint themselves with each other the way that they know and the way that they know how to communicate. And that is through that kick exchange. That's through that commonality of their fighting style. This is how they really shine in these moments of silent communication and how they really understand each other without saying a word. It's all about their violence and their philosophy of wrestling that just sort of resonates with each other. And I think this match really, really demonstrates that and is it's a prologue. It's exactly what it says on the tin. It sets us up for um, what ultimately becomes the N1 finals on October 3rd in Kirken Hall. So speaking of that match, we have both men making it to the finals in a one-day single elimination tournament between all four block winners. So Keno defeated Kaito Kiyomiya and Nakashima defeated Masakatsu Funaki in a very brutal little eight-minute match. Um, and then we have them in the main event, in the finals, 
and they both enter the arena wearing their Congo t-shirts, which Nakajima actually points to in the cameras. He's very proud of it. Do you remember how much we didn't want this to happen? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you exactly. So Hano and Nakajima won their matches and I literally muted the stream and I went off to watch anime. And because I couldn't couldn't handle it, I couldn't watch the rest of the card knowing that this match was about to happen. I, I just couldn't stand it. When I first watched that prologue, I was like, oh, it's because they're not having their singles match during this N1. They're not going to have a match because they're not in the same block. So, you know, no big deal. But then it happened anyway. I was beside myself. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it at all. This was a very stressful uh, period for me. Uh, <laughs> Mara Fuji was champion and um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was was adamant that he hold that belt through at least the Budokan but I knew that if Nakajima won in the N1 that it was very unlikely uh, that Mara Fuji would hold that belt for much longer and it's so funny to have been up until uh, a certain point to have been so adamant that I didn't want this to happen because now in hindsight this really could have been the only thing that could have happened which we're going to talk about in a minute, but it's just funny to remember um, how adamant both of us were that we did not want this to happen, but we did get this. So anyway, continue. I just think that's really funny to remember. No, it is. It it is very funny. And um, yeah, when they came out in the Congo shirts, um, a lot of my fears of this becoming a big, you know, tension thing and, and going back to sort of where they were in the N1 2020 immediately melted away. Um, you get this really firm handshake. Again, kind of a little reluctant, but um, the crowd just absolutely explodes into applause. Again, still a clap crowd, but you can feel the enthusiasm for this match. And, th- and this match is stupendous. A lot of people um, you know, say it's their best one. I have different favorites, but <laughs> this, this is a really, really, really good match. And they start visibly talking to each other you actually pointed this out to me Alicia they actually start visibly talking to each other during parts of this match sort of checking on each other um and just letting themselves be friends and rivals during this match and again you see a lot of their common spots the kick exchange the slap exchange is exceptionally long and very very brutal in this one but it is an extremely important part of their rivalry in fact actually if you go back and watch um, there's like a clipped summary of their very very first match together in 2014 back when Keno's in Shokibo Goon they still have a slap exchange that's just how they say hello to each other that's that is a part of what they do along with the kick exchange so I really wanted to um, point that out especially in this match yeah, absolutely. I mean, that one kick exchange, I think it's towards the end where Keno is like screaming um, with every kick. Like that is an exhilarating exchange. I I think I'm with you. it's so hard because like any one of these matches could be my favorite for a variety of reasons. Like I have a lot of memories tied into like these matches. Um, but this match is is outstanding. I mean, I think the the thing that is the most um so, sort of the most emotional thing is that uh Katsuhiko uses the diamond bomb in this um yes. and you and I have talked about this at length and how significant it is it's so significant that he only uses this against Keno and Naomichi Marafuji and the fact that it's against the two of them I mean that should really tell you everything about how he views them 
and the significance of the move against them that it's only against the two of them and that always gets me um when I watch the match is that oh my god like he really like it's really only against um him and Marfuji that he's that he pulls that out for which is again it, it says everything about how he views both of them because he is incredibly detail-oriented about how he how he does things like that so uh yeah it's just it, it's just it's an incredibly exhilarating um match and then um do you want to talk about the the immediate aftermath of Katsuhiko hitting yeah. the diamond bomb and taking that win to uh win the n1 yeah so um first I wanted to point out that I love that you mentioned like them yelling at each other after the kicks and, and sort of goading each other on for more there's just that really sense of camaraderie um, in this match, you've got Keno doing the shutter chance as well, um, which was a really great moment. It's really funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very funny. Um, he, he can't quite get into it. And he does like a kind of smile that that shows that he doesn't smile for cameras very often. Um, but then you also have this really incredible handshake and hug after this match. It's just um, a very huge moment for them. Keno even posted a screenshot of that moment of the handshake and the hug. Um before their match on May 31st. So this, it is a really, really big moment for them. Um, and then Nakajima takes that and goes on to face Marfuji on October 10th. And he wins the GHC heavyweight title. Um, and everyone in Congo was in his corner for that match. You have a lot of great moments of him like selling on the floor and all of Congo sort of piled up um, watching him. And at the end of the match, he brings everybody in. He actually gestures for everyone to come in and they pose with him in the center of the ring. And this is just an incredible match and an incredible moment. And um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about how um, important it was that Nakajima defeated Marufuji, because that does really tie into um, his journey in Congo. So if you go back to Katsuhiko challenging Shio for the belt in... Uh... November of 2020, one of the things I could never understand about that match initially in the aftermath of it, and I think I watched that match like probably 12 times in like a week because I was trying to understand something about that match. Katsuhiko doesn't care about winning the GHC when he faces Shio in that match. Um, he doesn't care at all. And it's that match is about hurting Shiozaki and getting to Shiozaki, who he really views in that moment as having betrayed him and betraying their partnership together and everything that they had sort of bonded over in being failed aces for years. And then the fourth reign begins and Shiozaki is finally becoming the ace that he was meant to be and had been denied him all those years. And Katsuhiko is left standing in his shadow suddenly. And then that missed tag happened and that kind of broke his brain. And that's how you get the fall of access and they go into this title challenge. And one of the most significant moments of that match is Katsuhiko not taking a pin that he had, that he could have won the match with because he chooses to just rain elbows that are just devastating onto Shiozaki. And when he loses that match, he doesn't look upset. He doesn't look angry. He's not disappointed he lost. He's being carried off by Hongo. And it's such a significant moment that I failed to understand in the moment because we were still confused about what exactly Congo was going to mean to him. But that was all the tell of he doesn't care about winning the GHC. He just cares about hurting Shiozaki, who he really felt betrayed him. Then you cut to now with him needing to face Marafuji, who holds the GHC heavy 
and Marafuji is the heir to the Ark. He's the symbol of Noah. Him and Marafuji have their own history together. They were embraved together. It's one of the most significant things that that Katsuhiko did in coming to Noah um, full time and signing. Like all that stuff is around Marafuji. And I'm glad you mentioned that because um, Nakajima also mentioned when asked why he decided to sign with Noah, he cited being in Brave and that he was already in a unit. He sort of felt like he belonged and he's like, well, maybe there's something here for me. So it's all about that sense of belonging and finding a place for yourself. And that starts with Mara Fuji. Absolutely. And they do have like their own relationship that is outside of the kayfabe as well like this is someone who means something to him to each other really and this period of time for Katsuhiko going into this with Marafuji he is finally I think really healing from again the trauma of the first rain that didn't work for him in Noah which was uh it's awful when you think about the position that he was put in and then how it didn't work and then the failure of that and this is someone who doesn't, I think, handle failure at that level particularly well. There's a lot, there's a lot riding on this and in, in, in the gesture of this. And going into the the build, they don't really have that long for the build here between Katsuhiko winning and the match. And Marafuji does something very interesting. If you know how he speaks about people, he's not uh he's not very arrogant. He's just not that, he's just not that way. He can be a very mean senior, um, but he's not a very arrogant person. But when he there's this one promo he actually cut in English that I always think about, but he said, I will beat Katsuhiko easily, easily. And I always think about that because um, that's just not how he talks. Um, but he was really trying to uh, to do something with, uh, with being the mean senior in the build of that. And I think try to make it seem like he was overlooking Katsuhiko going into that build. And that's not really how he treats him, um, but he was really trying to um, set them up so that there would be these moments in the match where um, Katsuhiko really has to um, overcome the symbol of Noah. And you really get a lot of the imagery of that in this, even before the match begins. Katsuhiko, in the build of that match, said that the GHC has meaning because Marafuji is holding it. And that is such a 180 turnaround from where he was the year before challenging Shiyazaki when he didn't care and all he wanted to do was hurt Shio, right? So this is really Katsuhiko finally becoming Noah. And that was the point. That was the theme of these sort of these sort of moments between them and the build and going into this match. But he is trying to um, become Noah in a way that was denied of him in his first reign and to find his his place in the center of Noah the way the way that only he could. But it had to go through Marafuji and be given to him by Marafuji because Marafuji means that much to the promotion today and to people like him. So it's an incredibly emotional thing. It was a hard thing because Mara Fuji is also someone who gives up a lot in the service of building other people. But that is the role that Mara Fuji has accepted for himself and has played all of these years is to, is to give so that other people can have these moments and to build themselves. So that it was Mara Fuji as the symbol of the arc that gives this now to Katsuhiko so that he can become Noah and be at the center of Noah it's it's incredibly emotional and incredibly significant I think that's exactly it it had to be Marafuji and it had to be while he was in Congo because both of these things are just so linked and so important in that way and I, th- I think you summed it up absolutely beautifully you have him overcoming 
Marafuji so that he can become Noah. And that's just, it, it's beautiful. So yeah, he becomes the center of Noah. And the first thing he does is he brings Congo into the center of the ring to also be the center of Noah, because that's just what it meant to him to win that belt from Marafuji. And then we also have him sort of talking in an interview with ProRest Today about how instrumental Congo was for this moment and um, how he won the belt because of Congo. He straight up says, now that I have the belt, I think I won it because I'm Congo. I think Keno probably thinks so too. I was able to win the belt because I was a member of that team. Then when asked if he has a strong bond with Congo, Nakajima responded with, I don't say it out loud, but I think there is something there, something that cannot be put into words. And I think that sort of perfectly describes the unspoken bond of Congo, but it also goes back to sort of what we were just saying about um, Brave and why he joined Noah. He thought there was something there. He uses the exact same terminology. So there's just him being in Congo is so tightly wound to him being Noah. And even outside of the sort of kayfabe aspects of the story, he, in this time period, Katsuhiko is demonstrating that he's starting to put all of the pieces together. And it's so interesting to me that there are so many people from the middle gen, not just even in Noah, but also in, um, there's guys in all Japan too. There's just, there's people of this generation, this middle gen that have taken a little bit longer to put the pieces together on being a complete package on having everything put together. So it's not just what they can do in the wrestling ring, but also having those components of character down as well. And Katsuhiko is really doing it in this period. He's also becoming a lot more confident um, on the mic and speaking in backstages. And those are not things that he's always been, I think um, it's some, it's funny. He's always been someone who has had a mic in front of him uh, because of the nature of the work that he had been doing with uh, Kensuke family um, and all the things that they used to do, like he, he's someone that, that's been in front of like TV cameras for like a good portion of his life. But when it comes to demonstrating character and talking on a mic, it's not always been a forte of his. But this is the area, um, or rather the time period where you start to see how much working with Keno and being in Congo has taught him in such a short period of time. He really is becoming a more complete character through this time period where he's working with, with Keno um, full time. And that's why all of these things are inextricably linked. Yeah, I think that's, that's it. That's exactly perfectly said. And um, it's just incredible to watch his character development throughout Congo through these two and a half years. And that eventually culminates in this uh, match from May 31st. And I'm really excited to sort of get into that. But before we do, we're going to talk about their last singles encounter, which is November 28th, Noah the Best, and that is the GHC double title match. So national versus heavyweight, Yoyogi Second Gymnasium. This match, oh man. So on November 13th, Kano calls Nakajima out for a double title match, um, citing that he has this dream of going into the Budokan as GHC heavyweight champion and has to, you know, go through Nakajima in order to achieve this dream. And Nakajima agrees. 
to this. And, and this is actually a really good little challenge. They're smiling the whole time. Like Nakajima just looks like he's looking directly into the sun. Like it, you can tell that there's just a lot of fondness and a lot of friendship between these two at this point. Yeah. And then this match happens and it ends up being an hour long draw. And it's just an absolute incredible spectacle. There is, you know, so much, so much of those kick exchange, so much of those slaps exchanges. Um, there's this incredibly long kick exchange that uh, a lot of people, including commentary compared to uh, Kensuke Sasaki and Kenta Kobashi and their uh, infamous chop exchange. It's just really incredible to see. And then of course, at the end, you have Nakajima using his trump cards as Keno calls them in shoe pro um, the lariats, which we still have not seen um, Nakajima use to this date. This is the only time he has ever used them. And that was at that very, very, very last minute in that 59 minute stretch. There's just a lot of meat to this match. We could probably do an episode on this match alone. But yeah, there and there were some things that you pointed out when rewatching this match, Alicia, that I hadn't noticed. And that is um, after that slap exchange, they talk and you had pointed that out to me. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, the way that they speak to each other is 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 often very interesting. They watch each other for a while too, in spots where they're sort of like, you know, on the ground and just sort of like waiting to get into the next um segment. I do think that the the like the kick exchange that goes really long, the one that looks so much like Kobashi and Kensuke Sasaki from Destiny in 2005, that spot is so interesting because I I compare it to the spot that we get where it's chop and kick right in the shio mm-hmm. and katsu match from um 2020 and you know both of those are are meant to emulate um that match from 2005 between kensuke and kobashi only with shio and katsu when they're doing it, it almost feels a bit like birthright right because it's it's their mentors so that makes a lot of sense but katsuhiko and uh, keno uh doing it together it really feels like this is something that keno is being invited into in a way there is I think a lot of respect in that a lot of acknowledgement in that even though Keno has a completely different background than the both of them um completely different mentor (laughs) than the both of them um but there is so much respect in that and it's so evident that Katsuhiko respects him so much and wants to um invite him into something that is so significant to again like his birthright you know in um in the match that uh that both of them were present for at destiny um both of them being him and shio so i thought that was really fascinating and and significant to kind of think about when i was rewatching it but i don't i think this is my favorite one um i do i and granted i have such strong memories of watching this card um uh, kenta was announced as coming back on this card too and that was like a huge um moment for me that was like the first budokan where he got to come back so I, sometimes I think this one is my favorite. Every time I rewatch it, I find something in it that is exciting and I didn't catch before. Um, I hadn't caught them talking to each other during that one part um, before I, caught, I watched this again last night. It's it's an hour long, but I'm so tired of having to apologize for 60 minute draws <laughs> um, because this match is fantastic. And like, it's to me, it's exhilarating. They, it's like perfectly paced. They know what they're doing. Um, their move sets are are excellent. Like, I I think you and I have talked about this quite a bit actually in our next stream part one episode. When we were talking about the criticisms that are kind of lobbed at uh, Jake and uh, Kendo for their uh, sixty minute draw that happened in this period. But 
I think if you just don't quite know the the story and you're not as maybe invested in that aspect of the wrestling, yeah, I can see a 60 minute draw being a chore. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I could be maybe a little sympathetic to that. But when you know the story beats of this and you know what's on the line and then you have Katsuhiko pulling out the lariat and you know the significance of that and you've got commentary screaming lariato uh kensuke uh what did they say i think it was like kensuke san or something like commentary was screaming that stuff is um is exhilarating because it ties in all of these different pieces of their of their backgrounds of their stories of their lives like like it just that stuff is the is pro wrestling to me i can't imagine it any other way and then you get 60 minutes of it you know, I don't know. That's yeah, just how no, exactly. that makes me feel. <laughs> That's like, I couldn't say better. That's exactly it. That matches has so much of the bread and butter of pro wrestling. So I, I definitely understand that. And I feel the exact same way about the 45 minute draw uh, from Wednesday, which is definitely my favorite. <laughs> um, it might be recency bias, but um, I feel, I feel the same. I feel like they both have that, um, moment of so much of their backgrounds and so much of what they have um, set out to build have um, come together into something beautiful. So I think a lot of ways um, these two draws are just really, really good um, answers to each other. And, you know, all these matches build into each other very beautifully, but I think there's a lot to be said about this 60 minute draw going into that as well. And I do want to say too, because you and I have mentioned this a few times in other places, but Part of the magic of this match is that Shiozaki comes out after being away to interrupt them. It's such a moment. I think one of the most incredible things that I noticed actually had to point out to you, which like really was funny um, when they're the camera kind of goes up um, pretty high above the ring, like bird's eye view and Shio's still standing on the stage and um, Keno actually goes and kicks the lower rope. And it's such an interesting moment for him because he's usually that's not like to me, he is composed in his um, anger a lot of the time, um, especially when he's in the ring like that. Him kicking the bottom rope because Shiozaki is about to come down um, the aisle, that was not a composed Keno. He was really, really mad um, that Shiozaki came out and interrupted them. And then you get the entire moment of, you know, Shio addressing Katsuhiko and what that meant. And I'll never like forget the way that, like, uh, there's like something about the way that Katsu says Keno's name when he's sitting there in the ring before like he pauses and then Shio's music hits. Like there's something about the tone there and then Shio's tone um, when he comes out too and addresses Katsuhiko. Like, so those things are so incredibly memorable to me. It's the power I think of this middle gen is why this match is such a strong, just a strong match to me because there is so much cooperation amongst Keno, Shio and Katsuhiko to make these stories powerful, to make them resonate. And I think you really get a sense of that within the match here, but then also Shio interrupting in the way that the three of them interact with each other, even in that like brief moment afterward. Right. But it's just the power of this middle gen for Noah and the incredible storytellers they have become with so much of it being driven by Keno in the press and the things that he does that are supplementary to the wrestling. Yeah, that's it. They're, they're intertwined. They're so tightly intertwined, which, you know, comes back to what you were saying is sort of them inviting Keno in um, to, to this world. And, and that is, you know, what they're doing, but there are, even then they're still just, their storylines are so deeply you know knitted together and that moment of kicking the rope 
involves Keno in this. And now he has, he always has a grudge against Shio for something or another, but he has yet another layer that he um, despises Shiozaki for. And he also screenshotted that moment of Shiozaki interrupting and put that on Twitter to promote the May 31st match as well, because he will never, ever, ever let that one go. Because you were right, um, Nakajima says Keno's name with such you know softness and, and this expectation that he's about to say something and it gets interrupted, he can't say it. Nakajima does post like, Keno, thank you on Twitter. So you can assume that that's, that's what he wanted to say, but he wasn't able to thank Keno properly, which of course comes into play now <laughs> um, with the match on Wednesday. So um, yeah, you you have that sense of interruption and the need for continuation. And that's really what these three are all about is there always is something that they need to settle. They need to talk about, they need to work out in the ring and it's never going to end because they're just always so intertwined. There's always something that Shiyazaki does that angers Keno. There's always something that Nakajima needs to work out. Um, usually with Shiyazaki, like there, there's always something. And it, it's just amazing to see, like you said, the storytelling power of the three of them. is just incredible. And it's really, you know, I would even include like Manabu Soya and the work that he's done with them. There's, there's other players in Congo who Masa. are important to this. Masa is so important. But then the way that they've now folded in Kendo Miyahara into so much of this as well, especially this year. And also I'm sure Yuma Aoyagi will flit in and out of some of the storytelling too. But really um, to have that diamond ring stuff hanging on in the background through Kendo um, and also Masa, like that stuff is all through the power of this middle gen. They're all around the same age. They've all kind of came up around each other more or less. And it's driven by um, these guys. There's no mistake about it. These are the powerful storytellers in this industry. I would also hinge onto this Jake Lee and Naoya Nomura because Next Stream, um, the original Next Stream is so important to modern storytelling writ large in this industry as well. The industry is beginning to revolve around them as it should. And they're, they're doing incredible work. And you sort of get that moment, that feeling once again of sort of the the center of Noah after Nakajima defends his belt from Go Shiyazaki on January 1st, 2022. This sort of marks not really a change because this is the direction we have been going in, but you start to see even more of um, Nakajima really buying into Congo and uh, kind of really softening up on Congo as well, you have this incredible moment where both Nakajima and Keno take the mic and sort of close Budokan together, passing the mic sort of back and forth. And then they all pose together on the entrance ramp, which is just a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, streamers fall all around. They make the shoe pro cover. I cried for like a week. It, it was great. And, and then from there, you start to see Nakajima and Keno becoming uh, more and more in sync. You have them sort of, they've always had this kick rally that they do that's sort of similar to the endless love. Nakajima's called it the public execution. So that's sort of what I've, I've sort of started calling it, but it becomes more and more in sync. They start doing um, a kick at the end that's completely in sync with each other. So you start to see that develop and you also start to see Nakajima becoming more of a participant in spots such as the elbow drops. He never really does the elbow drops. He does it once at the Budokan. But he's always really enthusiastic about distracting the ref. 
And he gets more and more elaborate about distracting the ref. And so people who say, you know, like he was never a member of Congo, they're, they're not really looking at this and they're not really looking at him um, carrying Soya out of the ring on his shoulders. And, and Soya will actually carry Nakajima out on the ring, out of the ring on his shoulders um, after they lose matches. And you get this real sense of the three of them, um, Keno Soya and Nakajima becoming a really, really tight unit in and of themselves. You see some incredible teamwork between the three of them in these matches. It's, it's just really cool to see. Um, and I definitely wouldn't overlook 2022 and early 2023 as far as um, this Congo's Nakajima, natural Nakajima storyline. And I want to add on to that because this is something that you and I get like very frustrated about. Like we would get really upset seeing people talk about like uh, Hatsukiko coming off like a heel to some people in the Budokan when he's standing um, with with the uh, Congo, right, in the final moments, closing out the show. And I've always been sort of mystified by what about that moment with him after everything he's gone through to finally be champion again, to close out that show the way that he did with defeating Shiyazaki, which needed to happen, and with Shio not playing a baby face. And <laughs> I think one of the fundamental issues is that if you go into pro wrestling Noah, and I'll say this about all Japan as well, but if you go into pro wrestling Noah and you try to apply Western ideas of baby face and heel to this promotion, you're going to do yourself a disservice in trying to understand story and character um, in both of those promotions because they don't really do that in these promotions. Sometimes there will be people who are a lot more overt classic baby face and heel, sure, but that's not how a lot of these guys operate they flit in and out of these very gray spaces um with each other i think people get very confused by shiazaki in particular because fourth reign shio is the most baby face i think he ever was in his entire career he exists in a very gray space otherwise and i think people get a little bit confused by him when he's not fourth reign shio which i think is what a lot of people are frankly used to and that's okay but the point is that I think people do get confused by Katsuhiko because he has always existed in like his sort of like villainous wolf persona. Um, and people like want that to be this like overtly heel thing. Like people remember the W1 stuff, whatever. But for a long time now, for a long time now, Katsuhiko has not been playing a heel at all. He like is always kind of slimy. He's always kind of a dick with refs. Like he just always is. But he's not acting like a heel and hasn't been um, for quite some time. And I think people still try to apply those very Western, like baby face heel dynamics to people like him and then confuse um, his character. And there are certainly some very bad, very biased translations floating around on Twitter too, that do not reflect things that he actually says, um, which is a massive problem for this community. So that does him a disservice, but he has not been like that kind of heel in some time. Um, so I think that that stuff can be um, quite confusing um, to sort of sift through. But again, it's like, you just have to kind of let go of that, of that idea that these Western ideas of those things apply here. And people exist in the gray space more than you think um, when they're playing out these characters and these storylines and they flit and change um, quite often. Yeah, that's the great thing about like All Japan, Noah, they're, they are characters, they are characters, but they are playing 
humans. Um, they have the capacity for great kindness and friendship and, you know, things we associate with baby face and they have the capacity for great cruelty and, you know, bullying and, and laughing at Muhammad Yone in, in terrible ways. That's the only time Nakajima's really the heel, by the way. <laughs> it's when he's no, with Muhammad anything Yone. with Muhammad Yone or like anything he does to uh, Nishinaga-san because he is yeah, not Nishinaga. nice yeah. to Nishinaga-san. I think that's what it is. Like he has like, he's he has multiple dimensions to him, right? He has the capacity for kindness, for wanting family and community, for carrying Soya out of the ring because he loves and adores that man and he wants to get him to the back and to help him. But also he can absolutely be a, a dick to Nishinaga-san um, in the ring and like those things can all exist inside of one person playing a character and he doesn't need to be a, a heel or a villain for it but people have a very hard time of letting go of this for him but I think that if you if you try to then put him in that box still of him being like the devil as some people still like to call him you are missing out on some of I think the best character work he's ever done and he's not He's not being that guy. I just, I, that part of the, the discourse on his character has been really frustrating for me because it just shows me that you're not reading the right stuff about him and not listening to Keno. Speaking of, because this of course <laughs> of how much misinformation and assumptions are also made by the other side of this equation. And that is Keno, because he also, you start to see him in this storyline, in this stretch in 2022 of him softening up and becoming a lot kinder and a lot more open just in general like he has this youtube um and his youtube channel is sort of designed to sort of bridge his um no nonsense kayfabe and his actual personality which is very kind and very open and, and very funny and um you start to see that more and more and he brings congo into that um he has this really great video where he is promoting diamond five and he calls every single member of Congo and exactly one of them picks up for him. Nobody picks up for him except Nakajima and Nakajima is, he's very casual when he, when he picks up the phone and, um, Keno puts him on the spot, makes him do a promo against Satoshi Kojima. And, um, you know, they, he starts like freaking out over how um, professional Nakajima is like, oh, that was so good. That was so good. And, and it's just very casual, very friendly. He plays this video of them um, in a bar doing a Keno Jean Ken, like rock, paper, scissors tournament. Um, Soya wins it. And um, <laughs> and you can just see like the fondness on his face. He even sort of says during um, this chronology video of um, Nakajima and Kento Miyahara in order to promote their match at Muto's retirement show. He straight up says, you know, I respect Nakajima. I think he's one of the absolute greatest wrestlers in the world. I just can't seem to tell him to his face. My YouTube is the only place where I can really freely express these um, emotions. And that's literally how that YouTube is used. So again, I encourage you guys to, to watch it. Even if you don't know the language, you can really get the body language and um, always follow me on Twitter at Milky Star, M-I-I-K-Y Star. I do do a lot of translations there as well, but I cannot stress how much Nakajima's time in Congo really changed both Nakajima, but it also changed Keno and his sort of attitudes towards these friendships. And, and now you can see it because he's hugging Soya all the time after their matches. And, and you can really just see what they have done for each other. And I think that's great. Yeah. And I think that sentiment of, um, from Keno, of I can't seem to tell him to his face. Like I can only tell him he's the greatest wrestler in the world through my YouTube channel. 
like it's so interesting like the the blurring of the lines there again right like that's probably a very like raw sentiment <laughs> from Keno um but also plays so much into the kayfabe that we're going to see from here too yeah and um in that kayfabe we do see Nakajima and Keno challenge for the GHC heavyweight tag titles twice <laughs> of which she mm. should have won um we have whole rants on that several rants on that um once again sugira and hideki suzuki on april 30th 2022 and again later in the year exactly six months later against sugira and satoshi kojima on october 30th um one thing i do really want to point out is during the build against taka and satoshi nakajima states in a backstage promo noah needs me and keno which is a very strong belief that they still share. And I believe that is really shown in the match that we are discussing. Going into this match, um, we do have Keno finding tag team success, um, just not with Nakajima, with different members of Congo. He wins the All Japan World Tag Belts on March 21st, 2023 with Soya and the Dragon Gate Open the Twin Gate titles with Shuji Kondo on April 4th. Nakajima sort of doesn't have much success on his own. Uh, he fails to take the GHC singles title from Jake Lee on April 16th. And this all sort of begins to weigh down on Nakajima immensely until he no longer feels needed in Congo. So that's what leads us to uh, this situation on May 4th, which we have described. He doesn't feel needed anymore. And he um, extends a hand to Go Shiyazaki, who is currently wearing his fourth rain gear um which alicia has stated beautifully of just how important that fourth rain is to shiazaki as a memory of a time where he had become the ace and where he was successful so you see him sort of clinging to that desperately and sort of a shadow of his former self and nakajima defeats him and sees this opportunity to feel needed again and then he offers shiazaki to revive axis Keno is incensed and more than that, really confused. Nakajima doesn't say anything on it. Keno is very high on communication. Um, he really wants wrestlers to communicate not only to each other, but to their audience. And he feels that Nakajima didn't do that. And um, he implores Nakajima to give him a clear answer. Um, I've translated that whole um, Shupro article on it on our blog. Please go check that out. But Nakajima doesn't respond. And on May 14th, they do have their first sort of encounter with Axis Nakajima versus Kongo. And that was Shiyazaki and Nakajima versus Soya and Keno. And um, again, Keno doesn't really get a clear answer, but they do have a kick exchange. And that kick exchange is extremely important. You see when Nakajima starts it, Keno nods in sort of the silent understanding and then returns the kick in which Nakajima immediately starts gesturing him for more. And that sort of goes back to what I was talking about is this is how they communicate. This is how they connect to each other. And um, Keno sort of seems to understand at least to an extent what Nakajima is getting at. He can't give a verbal answer, but he can tell Keno, why he left Congo and what he needs from now on in a singles match. That's what sort of leads us to 
May 31st, you have this backstage um, moment on May 28th, where Keno, it's, it's actually a hilarious moment, um, stares at Nakajima. They have a little mini <laughs> stare off and then they go their separate ways. Keno, a man of many words, says nothing. This is very significant. Nakajima looks at his wrist tape in which he has written Axis and Sharpie um, and he taps it sort of awkwardly. And you get this sense that there's a lot unsaid between them. And then Nakajima tells the cameras that he will say it. He will give Keno his feelings on May 31st. We just, at that point, don't know what those feelings are going to look like. We don't know what that conversation is going to be. Nakajima, we've sort of talked about this, this episode, has this habit of burning his bridges with former partners. Even Shiyazaki, he he burned that bridge. Shiyazaki just took him back um, because <laughs> Shiyazaki is desperate. We could do a whole episode on that too. But, but Shiyazaki just took him back, but he burned that bridge and he does that. He, you know, raises the ground and moves forward with blinders on. But as a member of Congo, that's not traditionally what they do. Even if they are mad at every other unit member, they're never mad at Keno. <laughs> Nobody leaves because they hate Keno. They usually show him a lot of grace, usually bow. They have a singles match. There's that a fantastic match between Masakita Mia and Keno that um, you and I watched, Alicia, back in July of 2021, where they you know, sort of say goodbye to each other. It's a very sad match but it gave them closure. And that's a traditional Congo thing. So the question becomes, is Nakajima married to the person who leaves people behind and hurts people or has Congo changed him into someone who can carry what he learned and that camaraderie and that kindness from Congo? And can he carry that into the future? Has he learned to not burn a bridge essentially? That brings us to May 31st, 2023, in Shinjuku Face on a Wednesday, <laughs> and, and a part of their Sunny Voyage series, so just a house show. Um, they use Sunny Voyage for their house shows and then Star Navigation for their Hurricane shows. So it's literally just a house show, but you have this incredible match, this incredible moment, and it starts with Nakajima entering wearing his Congo shirt. And Alicia, I want to know your impressions of this moment. <laughs> you weren't doing spoilers and you were at work. I was getting ready to work. And so I didn't have the match on. I was just refreshing Twitter obsessively because I needed to know. Um, I have like anxiety issues. I think that like something bad is going to happen during like every big match now. So I need to make sure that they're like, they're fine, but also I need to know the result. So I was refreshing and then I saw him come out in the Congo shirt and I was at once extremely nervous because I I thought he might be mocking about it. And that's what my my sincere fear was because like you just explained so eloquently, the, the issue really came down to you in this match. Is he going to burn a bridge and just kind of revert back to being the Katsuhiko that has a lot of issues with how he leaves people? are they going to retcon the past three years together? And is it going to start with him being cruel about this t-shirt? And so I was a little bit horrified. And then in continuing to scroll and refresh and scroll and refresh and scroll and refresh, it gets to the point where he, you know, Keno comes out and then he takes off the shirt and he folds it 
and he puts it at Keno's feet. And that is when I started to weep <laughs> because he is not being cruel. He is, um, it's, it's really the, the tell is in the, is in the taking it off, the folding, the placing it at his feet and like these details. Um, these are just such regimented aspects of, um, Katsuhiko and his background and things that he was taught. And he's, you know, this is really the the starting point of like, oh, like he he's doing this because he's being respectful. He's trying to say thank you through this. But there's the symbolic sense of, well, he no longer needs the shirt, probably, right? Because he is still Congo's Katsuhiko in his heart, inside of himself. So he doesn't need the shirt anymore. So that was really wholly significant. I was hoping I was going to continue to be right, because that was right at the start of the match. Um, but I thought that it was in the, the detail was, you know, the important detail was in him folding it and placing it at his feet instead of like, he didn't take it off and throw it. Um, he wasn't being mocking. He wasn't, you know, we know what he looks like when he's being mocking. Um, he wasn't doing that. You know, he really was trying to be um, respectful and demonstrate something to Keno, but also this audience that was like waiting with bated breath to see what he was going to do. And um, that audience was uh, there for the, the entire ride and really um, was invested in the story and invested in both of them. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Um, like I said, I, I did no spoilers. So I watched this just straight through. And um, yeah, I was I was completely blown away. I, I immediately suspected that he was probably being respectful when wearing the shirt. Um, I was wondering if it was sort of a callback to their N1. Um, I was wondering if Kenna would also be wearing um, the shirt, but no, he wasn't because this, this was Nakajima's um, gesture to Kenno. And I thought that was beautiful in and of itself. I also want to note that um, Nakajima did not have axes written on his wrist tape, um, which, which makes sense for that moment. Cause that moment wasn't about axes. It was about the two of them. Um, but I do like that. It's sort of a deliberate character decision and, and a storytelling decision that um, he is making and he's making with Shiyazaki. So um, that's something that you should look out for in the future to sort of see when he writes it and when he doesn't, because that, that could be significant. It could be fun. We don't know. <laughs> but... And those those details are important because I don't uh, think that before this time period with Congo and Keno, I don't think he had a master of those details. It wasn't really like something that he, I'm sure it's something that he could understand, but it's not something that came naturally to him. Um, it's through this time period where like, you know, him in that backstage promo that looks absolutely insane, where Keno <laughs> appears and then walks away and they say nothing to each other. But then he glances at his wrist tape and he looks at axes on his tape. Those are not details that came naturally to him before this time period. And like, that's, that's the important part. That's the growth. That's what we needed him to start to do because he's always a world-class professional wrestler, but he was not a part of conversations when it came down to is he a world-class all-around performer? And that's that's really the difference. Yeah, it's exactly it. And uh, speaking of, there is some world-class professional wrestling in this match. Um, it's it's not all a uh, not all a character show. I mean, it is all a character show, but there's there's a lot of wrestling, capital W, in this match as well. Um, it is a long match. Some people like to say it has a slow start. I get it. Um, but I actually didn't really find it slow. I really thought that the opening was almost like sort of an MMA match feeling each other out. Like it felt like the two of them just come from very similar backgrounds of combat sports and they just know each other really well. And it was just, it was communicating in a way that was natural as breathing to them. Like they're just 
feeling each other out and exploring this dynamic that they've had together. It's not a question. It's really just sort of what they do, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I want to say to that, I think this is another part of the 60 minute draw debacle, but the whole started out slow thing is starting to become a myth to me. I have yet to really watch a match in a while where I would agree like, yeah, this started out slow. I think people just are struggling with their attention. (laughs) And I think we need to have a discussion around what that looks like as a community, because you guys have to stop using that as your default like complaint when it's really like you're like struggling with your attention deficit with these types of matches like I get it like it's tough sometimes I I struggle with my ADHD so I get it I'm trying to be gentle about it but I just think that we need to find a different way to talk about that stuff so that like criticism of the matches is still intact like if it needs to be there do you know what I mean Oh no, I, I get exactly what you mean. <laughs> so social media has trained us to to look for the gifable parts and and look for the parts that can we can post and talk about and, and go, whoa. And when those don't happen right off the bat, suddenly, oh, it's a slow match. But but this was not not a slow match. And um yeah, you get Keno initiating a few uh slap boxing exchanges here and there. They never really reach the heights of, you know, like their N1 or really any of their slap exchanges, they're sort of I guess a, um, a teaser more or less. And uh, Nakajima doesn't really respond to them all that much. But I noticed in some of the earlier slap exchanges, they're very interesting. And it goes back to what you're saying about, like, it feels like the beginning of an MMA match, like more so than the last ones that we've discussed. Keno does a lot of like checking the distance. He keeps like putting like his, like, like his hand quite literally on Katsuhiko's head because he's literally checking the distance. And it looks much more like, like a shoot fight than it does a professional wrestling match in that um, regard. So it's interesting that they did that here, but like that was different than some of their other slap fights where it looks literally like a slap fight. Whereas this looks like them actually trying to have an MMA match. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly it. And it comes down to what I was saying, like communicating in a way that just is very natural to them because they both have those backgrounds. So it's just really coming down to the natural Nakajima and the natural Keno. I I say that too, that this is very much a communication as a two-way street sort of match. Um, And then it gets to their normal communication, which we have a lot of kick exchanges. We have this fantastic sitting exchange where they um, trade spots where they're sitting. Um, At first, Nakajima doesn't quite know what's what's happening. Like he sits down, presents his back to Keno, Keno kicks it. And then he starts to gesture for another kick. That doesn't come because Keno has also sat down um, with his back to Nakajima. The whole crowd completely just like erupts. Like they lose their minds at doing this because Keno doesn't do this. Nakajima has done this. He's he's done this like with Sakaguchi and the Cyber Fight Festival. Like he he has done this and sort of initiated this kick exchange of respect. This isn't really a Keno thing. Like he's more of a standing kick exchange guy, but he he wants that from Nakajima and he um, sort of turns over uh, over his shoulder and he's like, come on, you give me one. And it was, it was very, it was just a really good moment. Nakajima's smiling there. He's laughing through basically that whole exchange. I absolutely am obsessed with that whole um, stretch. It's, there's a lot of camaraderie there. It's just really cool to see. That was probably my favorite part of the match. Like it's hard for, I think that to not be because of the way they're egging each other on. Like you can see Katsu smiling through his mouth guard and the crowd. Um, the crowd is like the third man in this because they're so invested. There's the dueling chance back and forth for them. 
the, the crowd is with there with both of them and it, it's just so fun and like it's just a great sequence in the match um yeah i think it's my favorite it's not mine but it's very close um it's very close but i i do like how throughout this whole stretch and through most of this match they are very much perfect mirrors of each other that's a very deliberate thing i think i mentioned to you um i i typed when i was just like tears streaming down my face i was giving you every thought I've ever had about this match while I was watching it for the first time. And I said, this is the one mirror that Nakajima doesn't want to break because he does when he sees similarities in himself. We've talked about this with Shiazaki. He wants to shatter some of those similarities and get out of that shadow, get out of um, that reflection. But in this case, they are reveling in how similar they are to each other and, and sort of daring each other to um, try another kick, to try another big boot. They're just, anything they do, they're giving it back to each other tenfold. And it just continues throughout the whole match. It's just really incredible. You do get a lot of floor and guardrail spots. Like this is a very Nakajima thing. It's a very Keno thing too, but um, he usually, Nakajima usually laces them with these mocking words, you know, a wolfish grin pulling uh, his opponent against the guardrail spot. You don't get that. You really, like you said, there was never anything mocking about Nakajima here. I think you summed that up really well. And then there's also this incredible part where Nakajima misses an apron PK to Keno and Keno capitalizes by countering into this insane German suplex onto the floor. It's just Shinjuku face on a Wednesday. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it blows my mind. They're fighting like they're in the Budokan here, but that's just how much this match means to them. You know, shoot and kayfabe, like in character. And you can really sense that, that, you know, Keno and Nakajima, the people, really value this match and value giving it to the audience. A lot of the way that this match was sort of done, you and I have talked about this a little bit. I think we talked about this on the very tail end of the of our last I am Noah maybe but it's really like in in like these parts like the the missed apron PK and then Keno setting up the insane German this is where they feel so much like Maru Ken for a different generation it, it's not a one-to-one comparison they're very different sets of people but Shinjuku face on a Wednesday getting this type of match I mean like it's it feels like like some of the bigger Maruken matches though you know what I mean like it's like it doesn't matter where they had this venue uh or rather where they had this match like the venue really doesn't matter like this feels like some of the bigger Maruken matches the rivalries themselves are inherently very different rivalries too um because we'll talk about this as we get towards the end but um the outcomes of these matches uh over time have stopped it has stopped mattering what the result is Whereas the result mattered a great deal over the the course of the Maru Ken rivalry, but yeah, like so, like these spots, like the way that they they're, they're set up, like it, to me, it just screams Maru Ken for a different generation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and I love whenever you make those comparisons because it really just feels so incredibly apt. Just like when it comes down to like that silent communication, which we have talked about um, time and time again with them and with Maru Ken. But yeah, the, this match they just pull out all the stops. We have that PFS to the outside a reference to their double title draw. Um, you and I both noted that Keno looked a lot more comfortable <laughs> with that PFS. I don't and know how. <laughs> he he looked like he was about to hit the rafters and, and Keno has an anxiety about heights, but he he went for it here. Um, it was it was incredible to see. I think it was the one in the draw that I noted to you where like you can see like his whole body shakes like when he realizes that he has to go now. Um, 
But then, of course, in Shinjuku, he looks like totally fine. They have no space to do this. Um, and then the, the camera in the um, on the feed doesn't pick it up well. So if you're if you're wa- if you're listening to this and you didn't like really see the um, other angle, Noah does have this on their Twitter account. So make sure you go there um, to get the other side of it, so you can see actually Keno come down onto Katsuhiko. But they had no room to do this, and yet pulled it off. It looks great. It's a great callback spot. Um, it always looks awesome when Keno does it, but like, my God, like there was no room to, to do that there. I think Lou mentioned like how great it was that this match was going to be an intimate venue and it, it gets very intimate at certain <laughs> points. Like they're, they're not even bothering like the, uh, the ring boys they have, it's all they can do to move any amount of customers they can, because they really have no room, um, to do this. And, and they, like I said, they, um, really just pull out everything. We have a tease of both of them doing, um, sort of their super finishers, uh, Keno has done his Enrin exactly, he's landed it exactly twice and he's teased it, I think four times. And um, now one of them is against Nakajima. That's of course his uh, moonsault double knees. He he teases it, he doesn't land it. And it leads into Nakajima doing an avalanche diamond bomb off of the second rope, which was so cool to me. But again, it comes down to just how important that diamond bomb is. And it's, it's a very rare move. And like you said, we've used it mostly against Marafuji and Keno, but it's, it's just really significant. And seeing it on the ropes like that was insanely cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, I think too, even outside of like, like the significance of some of these moves that were teased or performed, you really can see throughout this match, like how much fucking fun they have selling for each other. It is so satisfying to watch them do that. And it's because they know each other so well. It's just so great. Like there's like some kicks, like very simple kicks that Katsuhiko takes um, into a corner where like he shoots back, like he just took like a gunshot blast. Um, Like, it's so fun to watch two people who know each other so intimately sell for each other like that because they're trying to make each other look good all the way to the end and they're enjoying it. And I think it plays into the fact that like the result of this really wasn't going to matter in the end because it was never about that. It's just about the two of them. And it's very rare that we get to see wrestling like this. Like it's just sort of incredible that this even really got to happen in this way because how many times do we get to see this it's just incredibly rare and in that way it sort of had to be Shinjuku face on a Wednesday it it had to be a house show it had to be a non-title match like it it just had to be the two of them doing things that they knew to do and and making each other look as amazing as possible and it's just it's an incredible rare moment like you said before we start to get to the end of the match I wanted to note there is one spot where Keno starts the slap exchange. Like he slaps Nakajima really hard and Nakajima responds with a kick and Keno goes, okay, I guess we're kicking now. And they go into another kick exchange, but he does come back to it. And Keno um, slaps Nakajima again. This is my favorite spot because it's just a perfect merger of so many different plot points and so many things we've set up at this moment. Um, Nakajima responds with, elbows but they're not the smashing elbows that you mentioned before in fact there's only one situation in which he like sort of pushes aside the ref and it's actually to help Keno to his feet so they can do more damage to each other you get just you know his regular elbows he refuses to slap Keno back and Keno will not take that because I said like I said this slap exchange they have used since 2014 
and Keno slaps him again and again and again and Nakajima will only give him the elbows and that goes to Nakajima sort of using this slap as a statement piece um, that he has been using since the Cyber Fight Festival press conference where he knocks out Kotoge. And after he did that, and then when he does it again against Jake Lee, um, Keno on his YouTube channel called him the natural Nakajima and said like, oh, that slap is, you know, that's that's the natural Nakajima. And that's who Keno wants to fight. Keno wants to fight the natural Nakajima. He wants to Nakajima to be his true natural self with him. And he needs to have that slap exchange in order to feel that. And um, then you finally, finally have Nakajima responding with it. And it just felt so incredible to see them. Like you've been saying all episodes, seeing Nakajima taking all these little pieces of himself and putting them into one statement piece and telling this complete story. And he has not been able to do that before that two and a half years with Congo. Actually, I have it written in our doc um, of something you sent me over Discord while we were talking about that match. Do you want to do you want to read it? I believe I said to you that he is never more natural or honest than standing across from Keno. Exactly. And that's I thought that was perfectly said. And um, that's what that whole statement he said, like it, he didn't want to hurt Keno with that slap. He didn't want to hurt him with the elbows. He didn't want to use that statement piece. But Keno saw that and said, no, that's not you hurting people. That's you being natural. Um, and I think there's a lot of, I don't want to read into it, but there's a lot of shoot catharsis in that. If we go back to his unfortunate accident with Tetsuya Endo, I felt like there was some sort of catharsis in him. You know, that horrible accident happened and that did affect Nakajima, but he does turn that slap into a character note. And that's, that's, a thing to do that's a wrestling thing that makes sense but I think him sort of reclaiming it um kind of letting him reclaim that as a character moment and as something that is our thing we do the slap exchange there was there was a lot of catharsis in that and that really um resounded with me as the viewer as well I think that you're that you're right the way that we talk about these slaps as a community has been I think a little bit flawed but I think that you're that you're correct. I think there is a lot to be said about Katsuhiko being another person hurt by that situation with Endotetsia, and there being a lot sort of unresolved from that hurt too. I think you are um, correct in your analysis there, and it's an important way to view it. Yeah, and I and to that end, that is my absolute favorite spot. I think it's just beautiful how um, it just combines so many different elements and and it's just incredibly cathartic to watch um, him finally sort of owning himself and as a character as a wrestler and as a person and then that leads us sort of to the end of this match we have a final kick exchange and um, then the bell rings <laughs> effectively this um, I saw someone on Twitter sort of said like oh Nakajima had that match won and you know that's that's sort of just if you're rooting for Nakajima, maybe that's how you feel, but that's not really how I saw <laughs> that a kick exchange. I had no um, doubt in my mind that Keto was probably going to kick out of that. You mentioned yourself, like, I wonder what would have happened if this match went on 15 more minutes, because there's no doubt in my mind that match could have gone 60. That match might've even gone longer than 60. We don't know what, what would have happened there. Um, and actually here, I want to note Nobody knew the time limit of that match. Nobody, nobody in the venue. They didn't announce it before the match. It, 
we knew it was 45 when the bell rang. <laughs> um, and that, and that was it. Um, so there was that tension of like, yeah, most people probably suspected they were going to go to a draw. We just didn't know how long that conversation was going to be, or if that conversation was going to be long enough, if the time given was going to let them say everything they needed to say. And in the end, it wasn't. <laughs> there, there was plenty more for them to say. And that's how I felt. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's fascinating that anyone would, would watch that entire 45-minute match and then need to, to claim that there could have been a winner of the match. Because like I've been saying for the past couple of minutes, I don't think that was the point. That was not the point in the end. The point was that you were not, there, there didn't need to be a winner. That wasn't the type of match that we were going to be given because we were, we were, we were given an end to something. We were given closure. We were given a tribute to a time period that meant so much to two people. We don't need a winner. So that's like the, that was the furthest thing from my mind was like, who who might have won the match yeah like I was curious like what would happen if you went 15 more minutes who who closes out really it just becomes a 60 minute draw probably the point is that they're having a conversation they need to have about the last almost three years together that's the point so I think when people clamor to say like oh he totally won that match because he was scrambling for the pin I think what you're telling me is that you think that wrestling is only about wins and losses Pro wrestling is not just about wins and losses. You miss a lot of really important things about story and character and themes and just really important things about human beings when you make it just about wins and losses. So that is what I'm sort of left with there. But um, I don't I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like um, <laughs> this this was about this was about someone saying thank you and goodbye. That's the thing that's most important to me with the bell ringing. And it was, it was about saying thank you and goodbye. And that's what leads us to the other most incredible part of this match. And that's uh, the bow that Nakashima gives to Keno. Beautifully angled bow, very deep, uh, as taught by Kensuke Sasaki. We actually talk about that at length um, as well in our Diamond Ring episode. Um, you have that beautiful bow of just pure respect and um, saying goodbye. And one thing I wanted to note it was on Noah's Twitter, they sort of call this match a Kejime match. I've seen this word throughout wrestling and usually um, about people leaving Congo and when they get a match with Keno. And I always took Kejime to mean separation, but it was actually a lot more complicated than that. It's sort of a act of drawing a line between two spaces in your life. Like, you know, work is work and play is play, but it is also described as being a total commitment to the side you have decided on in that moment. And I thought that was a really phenomenal way to describe this match. Um, and I love that there's a word for it. This is just Nakajima's commitment to Keno to follow through on this path forward to um, go through with Axis and see that through to the end. And this is also Keno's commitment to receive and accept Nakajima's feelings which he's he's a very stubborn deeply feeling man so that's um definitely something incredible like Keno didn't even want to accept Nakajima's feelings after he first reformed Axis but um after this match he does accept those feelings with that bow yeah I think the word almost or at least having the understanding of the word in a lot of ways helps me move on from this story <laughs> as well because I think and we'll talk about this I think momentarily as well but 
so much of the anxiety was in like are they going to retcon the last three years with Nakajima and then he ends up in a position where this is like a half-hearted sort of thing where he just kind of walks back into the position that he was in um with Axe the first time but I like the idea that they are totally committed to these sides now that they have decided to you know walk upon these paths that they've walked that they're walking upon because the most important thing that can happen from here for at least for Katsuhiko is that he is committed to taking what he has learned during this three-year period but use it to pursue other things pursue the GHC getting back on track with a lot of his wins because he's been struggling I think with definitive wins now in singles matches for a minute so framing it as them both accepting each other's wishes and then committed to the different sides of the paths that they're on and moving forward is actually part of the general catharsis I think of the match which is just really refreshing and just very helpful yeah, and that that was going to be my next question was what this match meant to you as far as catharsis and what it meant to you as a longtime fan who's been watching this storyline from the beginning and I think that really sums it up um I just really wanted this match to matter I wanted it to show that Nakajima wasn't ignoring what had happened you know the past two and a half years I had been invested in it and I wanted my investment to matter I wanted to know it mattered to them and um this match really did show that it wasn't all for nothing and they're going to continue forward in Noah just completely um intertwined with each other uh, them and Shiyazaki and and Kitamiya and Manabu Soya they're going to continue telling these stories and that's really what I needed to know and this match gave that to me and I can't be any more grateful than I am yeah you know I've talked to you a lot about there's something about these like deep pandemic storylines and the way they've now come to an end and sitting with like what they mean um to me and being kind of surprised and how much they mean and I think maybe as we get further and further away from where they began it'll maybe become clearer to me why they mean so much it was you know it was hard when total eclipse ended too you know and that's why we did the episode ultimately with captain lou is to kind of put uh an end to that chapter because the end of total eclipse was not satisfying so that was hard because the beginning of that was so important but with this you know we talked a little bit about this on our last episode with lou too but like some of my deepest fears about this was that they were going to retcon everything that he had done katsuhiko over the past two and a half years, he would go back to Axis, wind back up in Shio Shadow. And that's not to be disparaging of, of Shiozaki because I love Go Shiozaki. Um, I just am not an Axis fan. And I just, I needed, I needed the last almost three years to matter. I needed them to care, Tenno and, and Katsuhiko. And I think it was really hard for me too, because Katsuhiko's story is, is very personal to me. And has been, you know, for for quite some time. So I think his personal story is one where if he fails, I feel that failure in a way that is just a little more painful than just being disappointed at how a result went in a match or the direction a storyline went. And part of that is also just being a Noah fan, right? Because feeling hurt and lost from the wrestlers that resonates in you and your own life and experiences that is absolutely part of being a fan of this promotion. But this, through almost three years of, you know, Katsuhiko self-actualizing, really finding himself and his voice on his own terms, and he became champion again, and that reign was nothing like the one that traumatized him. 
he really is just someone that I need to succeed and to keep going and to to not regress and to not go back in terms of his career because it does feel like if he can't then I can't and where I am in my life so this needed to come to an end in a way that made sense in a way that honored what they had done for three years which is why the whole you know Axis stuff was so such a bitter pill to swallow for a while but as it turns out the last three years meant everything to him everything to both of them and it's still okay that it meant everything to me and then to us and our friendship as well. So that is all just really important. And then like just Keno, um, you know, we touched on this a couple of times in the in the episode, but really with him, like he is just, he's so unyielding, just unwilling to compromise in his vision and dreams and goals for not just himself, but it's for all of them. It's for all of these middle gen guys. None of this happens without Keno, you know, like it has to come from from him for all of these other guys to benefit from. Yeah. I'm just like intensely grateful that in the end that it mattered and that this match is the demonstration of that, that it mattered that they were able to honor the story and close the chapter. And that this is really just a tribute to that time together. So just intensely grateful. And that's literally what Keno calls it on Twitter is a beautiful tribute. Um, and that's what it is. It's, it's a tribute to their time together. So I'm glad you, you pointed that out. After the match, both men did say their piece. Uh, Nakajima stated, I'm grateful to you, Keno. When it's the two of us, I don't think 45 minutes is enough time. Before I knew it, my history with Keno was deeply engraved inside of me. I'll do it again anytime. Keno's comments were, 45 minutes. I couldn't settle it with Katsuko Nakajima. Well, it's not like he left Congo because of a quarrel. We fought through to the fullest today, and I received a little bit of his true feelings. But this is not the end. I'm ready to take your head off anytime, Katsuko Nakajima of Axis. I will always face you. Which I just thought was a very beautiful sentiment. We have a lot of um, bridges still intact here. A lot of um, potential matches in the future and a potential of them returning that t-shirt and and coming back <laughs> together someday. And I do think that that is um, very much possible for them. And um, I think Keno in his own way sort of acknowledged that by saying like, it's not like he left Congo because of a quarrel. He's straight up saying like the bridge is still open. And Keno is kind of dishonest with himself a lot of times. Um, a lot of fans will, and wrestlers, will describe him as being Sundere. Um, so there's, there's a little bit of a... Um, of him sort of betraying his feelings of like, yeah, you can come back, which is, which is a very rare thing for Keno. In addition, we also have Go Shiyazaki in the equation, once again, <laughs> shows up um, to specifically to make Keno mad, or well, it makes Keno mad. We don't really know why, um, but Go Shiyazaki shows up and demands, asks a singles match um, from Keno, and that's not going to be on a Wednesday at Shinjuku Face. It's going to be a Thursday at Kirken Hall. Um, so <laughs> just a little step up. Um, very funny to me that it's almost like um, like a little progression up. Like, well, you're doing this at Shinjuku Face. Fine, I'm going to do it at Kirken Hall. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so that was a really interesting moment to me. I couldn't quite figure out why Shiyazaki was doing this. It might just be that the company really wanted a singles match between them. Um, but it will be interesting to see play out because Shiyazaki offers a sort of gentlemanly handshake um, and kind of calls it too tepid and pushes it away. He's like, what is with this guy? Why is he acting all handsome and noble? And he's so, you know, like a 
boys love manga protagonists. Like he's, he's so handsome. It was just, uh, it was a very funny moment. It was a very weird moment, but I was wondering what your read on that was and why do you think Shiyazaki was motivated to watch this match and then go, okay, I'm going to have a singles match with Keno now. I think it's long overdue. I mean, even like you mentioned before, Keno had posted Shiyazaki interrupting them in his tweet before this big match with Katsuhiko. So Shiyazaki has been injured for a long time as well. He's been kind of out of the equation and just sort of like been hovering in the background of all the storytelling. This singles match is long overdue. Um, I think him and Keno have a lot to say to each other. It's just that Shiyazaki always has to do the slightly disingenuous thing, right? He can't just be honest about how he feels. He has to go over there and try to shake Keno's hand, which Keno is going to flip out about because he's always going to take that as being disingenuous because they don't like each other. They have said awful things about each other. That's the part of Shio that always like kind of makes me laugh. Right now, of course, in being in Axis, he's going to go do the gentleman thing of I'm going to go shake his hand and be very sportsmanlike. But that's not really what he even wants to do or means in that gesture. He's just doing it and going through the motions because he has to. And that's the thing that Keno fucking hates about Shiyazaki. If what could come out of this that would really excite me is to put more focus on Keno and Shio as the middle gen rivalry. Because that is the rivalry that they've needed to lean into and build on for a long time. They really have yet to lean into that. And, we've, and it's just been, I think, sometimes a little bit of bad luck and not being able to kind of get back to some of the things that they've sown in the past. These two, the last time they had a singles match, Keno beat him so decisively. Um, but before that, it really would have been the draw. No. No, the road to GHC. They had the road to GHC and the N1. And both times Keno beat him. Oh, I was referring to the um the road to GHC. Um, but I forgot about the N1 match. So the one before that would have been the draw. So like, there's always that like simmering tension between them. And like, they have yet to really, I think, move on this, this rivalry in a way that they need to, because this is the rivalry. Um, Keno and, and Katsuhiko's rivalry is always going to be this, this sort of thing that is compartmentalized and exists in its own world that they can kind of put wherever they need to, when they need to, right? That's fine. I know people want you know, Katsuhiko and, and Shio to, you know, flit in and out of whatever they do with each other. That is not the rivalry. That is not the defining middle gen rivalry. It is Keno and it is Shio. And if they were smart, they would start to capitalize that and build on that. And so that would be the really exciting thing to come from this. Because again, why is Shiyazaki coming backstage and trying to shake that man's hand? That's so disingenuous. It is not what he means. So we need to get into the meat of that and explore that because they could have the meanest, nastiest, like series of singles matches over this. And we just haven't explored it yet. Like we are, we literally have not been able to get those two to have a conversation over Keno and Katsuhiko being interrupted. Yeah. Keno sort of said like, oh, I got my revenge for that um, during that road to GHC, but he's clearly still very hung up on it. Like you said, he posted it. He can't stop talking about things. They hate each other. They just hate each other. And I love that you mentioned that it's that disingenuous gesture that just Keno immediately pings because he has a great read on people and he just he hates it he can't stand it so I would I'm very excited for this match um I'm still sort of uh reeling from this match but um as the weeks go on I'll I'll get into Keno and Shiyazaki mode because those two do have an incredible um rivalry sort of 
cooking. It's still simmering, but we could get to a boil and hopefully this magic hurricane will allow them to sort of um, break out and, and really take it out on each other and, and show something. And I'm very excited for that. Um, before that, we do have Keno and Soya facing axes one more time during Green Joy Journey in Nagoya on June 17th. Um, at the moment, this match does not seem to be for the AJPW World Tag Team titles. I am curious to see where that's going. Um, I'm excited for this match. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on it before we wrap things up. No significant thoughts yet. I mean, you and I are like basically the purveyors of one significant thought, which is that we've got to get these goddamn world tag titles um, onto somebody so that it gets uh, these these people back in front of Kento. And I, I am still of the mind on June 3rd when this is being recorded that it seems like the next move could possibly be through all together again with Tenno having to take a pin from like um, Kento to set up that match with like next stream versus um, Congo. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what this match on June 17th is going to be looking like. It will be interesting. I'm expecting, you know, Kenno and Shiozaki to be, to be extremely fucking rude to each other. It should be interesting. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with these world tag team titles, but I am trying at all times to get them onto whoever's going to face Kento basically. That's it. <laughs> That's the mood. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for this match. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but it is, it is fun to see that everyone in that ring is going to be at least somewhat fond of Kenno except Go Shiozaki. So <laughs> that, that should definitely come into play because this match sort of wraps up Nakajima and Kenno um, story, but it also opens the gate to so much more. And thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Alicia, if you want to promote our socials, take it away. You can find me, Alicia, at Sharonuikai with two eyes. You can find me and Rachel at Kickout299 on Twitter and also over at Instagram if you choose to follow us over there. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating. Those things help us so much in just trying to get people listening to our podcast. So please do that for us. We would so appreciate it. And keep an eye on the blog. We'll have some things coming out there as well. Anything else? Am I missing something? Nope. nope. My name is Rachel. I'm at I'm on Twitter at Milky Star, M-I-I-K-Y Star. And again, we are Kick Out. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon.